What I'm going to do here this morning is you heard just like a little bit of it, like what's behind this, uh, the, the title of the book that I wrote, and some of them, I'm going to give you a kind of little excerpt from it this morning. But I want to just say this. First, I'm going to depress you. So for the first couple minutes, you might be bummed out, like, oh, no, I'm depressed. I'm going to show some things and talk about a little some things that are sad. But then I'm going to flip it around, and I'm going to be very uh, joyful and positive. So in the beginning, you might be a little bummed out, but then we're going to make a nice turn and then turn around to, like, some real positive things. I'm going to share just some uh, stories and news and some uh, issues that are going around in the church in general today. Um, I was, I get my hair cut uh, about every three weeks. I've had, I used to be in a punk rock band and my hair used to be like three times higher and all this stuff. But, but basically, I go about every three weeks and I don't get my hair cut by a Christian. I, not that Christians can't cut hair, uh, but I do it for the opportunity to always get hair by, by non-Christians so you can, you can have dialogue and friendships and kind of ask questions and everything. And my current barber is a guy named Daniel. He knows I talk about him. Uh, and, uh, and he's very, he's like, talk about me all you want. I'm like, all right, because I love asking him questions. And then, because he knows I'm part of a church. And then one time I go in there and he walk in, and he's, we always talk about various theological things. And he's like, I didn't know that uh, you Christians believe that there's unicorns. And I'm like, I never heard that before. And so, and I pay attention to a lot of stuff. I'm like, unicorns? He's like, yeah, I saw it online. And, uh, and I'm like, it says that I've seen the Bible verses. And there are Bible verses that actually say there's unicorns in the Bible. And I didn't know that. And so I'm like, and so I went back home, like, I have to look this up. And I certainly, I typed in unicorn and Bible, and I saw some memes that were popping up, uh, quite a few of them, like this one up on the screen that says Isaiah 34, 7. And then you'll see that the word unicorn is used in the scriptures. And then look at the little bit underneath the meme. It says, like, know your Bible. Like, you silly Christians, if you really read your Bible, you'll then see there's unicorns in it. Right? There's other ones here, like look at this other unicorn sign. It says, because the Bible tells me so. And then you'll see there's, I think, eight or nine Bible verses listed there. And they're talking about the word unicorn in the Bible. And so again, it's sort of like a mocking of the Bible and Christians. Like, don't you even know there's unicorns in your Bible? Now, I didn't realize that, and I'll come back to the unicorns in a little bit. But I was stumped. I'm like, I didn't know this. Um, no, those are silly things about unicorns. Um, there was a story a couple years ago, I was contacted by a, uh, a campus ministry, and they said there was a young student in the campus ministry that was a leader and has since become agnostic and rejected faith and is no longer a Christian. And would I be interested in meeting with the person? I'm like, of course. And so I met with this uh, young guy, and he was super smart, and he was very kind, and he wasn't like anti-church or anything, it wasn't one of these scenarios. In fact, what he told me was he actually had a great upbringing in a church, that contemporary music, they had, a, it was a loving church, lots of community, all of those things. But then he got to university, and he was attending a Bible study in the book of Exodus. And so as an 18 or 19 year old, he was reading through the book of Exodus, and then what he ended up reading was things like um, there's slavery in the book of Exodus, where it certainly seems to indicate that God was for slavery. And he wrote, a, he wrote an email to the, uh, the leader on campus, and I got a copy of the email. In fact, he's given me permission to like, post it up. It's a several page email, but he started listing different things that were in, uh, in the Bible when he started actually studying it that he started becoming very understandably disturbed about. 
He saw verses about slavery. He saw, he read the story of, and he heard about it all the time growing up, but he read the story of when God, uh, the, the 10 plagues of, against Egypt, and then the final one was, the, was God taking the life of the firstborn of the Egyptians. And I remember he said something like, you know, my whole life I remember reading about Bethlehem, and how the soldiers you know, killed all of the two-year-old and younger in Bethlehem and how horrible that was, but then all of a sudden God ordered the killing of infants and children of the Egyptians and he couldn't shake that. And then he said the more he then started going online, he started reading other things about, uh, and there are websites devoted to this, because he said the more he researched it, the more he found, and he saw lots of memes. Like if you start paying attention to this, there's memes like this one up on the screen that says, hush women, and there's a female with her mouth taped shut. And then underneath, it's a Bible verse. And the Bible verse comes out of 1 Corinthians and it talks about women being silent, not allowed to speak in church. It's a disgrace for a woman to speak in church. And therefore, did Calvary just violate that a few moments ago here? We just had a woman speak in church, right? Are you in violation of the scriptures? Because it kind of says that. You'll see things like uh, there's a, a, a news, there's the new national news uh, um, uh, story that went viral, and it was a guy, he's back in like Alabama or something, and he, on the back of his truck, this is up on the screen, it says, 1 Corinthians 14, 34, women shall be silent and submissive, and then look at the, what it says, like, read your Bible. And then they interviewed this guy, and he's an atheist, and he says, you can look this up, you can read the, see the clip online, and basically he's saying like, you know what, Christians need to read their Bibles, if you read your Bibles, you'll become an atheist because there's all of this stuff in there that most Christians ignore. And then, you know, when you're reading verses that, you know, it simply says, 1 Corinthians 14, and there's verses like, let your women keep silent in the churches, they're not allowed to speak, be submissive. And then it says, right here in the scriptures, it is shameful for women to speak in church. And this guy's then saying, Christians violate us all the time, they don't really read their Bibles, and it's a big mess. Now go back to my, my friend, the young guy, um, he said that he started asking his parents questions about these very verses and others. And then his parents couldn't answer them. Now, he then started wondering, have I been raised in something that's just like, you know, my parents love me, it's a great church, they love me, but this stuff's in there and I've not seen it before, or if I have seen it, it was just kind of glanced over. And now these verses, not just from him, and in his case, he said, I didn't get the answers that I needed. I found a lot of websites like evilbible.com. There's actually a website, evilbible.com, and it just lists all of these things, and it's accessible to anybody at any time. And all of a sudden, you're seeing these patterns of, I didn't know this stuff was in the Bible, now I'm seeing it, I was never taught that growing up right at the time period when people are starting to question their faith, and it's normal when you get to be your late teens and your 20s, you're exploring things, but right at that time, you're seeing all of these things on the internet especially, like here's another one with uh, Psalm 137 verse nine. It says, happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. And so you'll see these memes that are saying, wait a minute, is God uh, violent? 
What he means that happy is the one who dashes babies against rocks, and then you'll see things taken to the extreme like this billboard that I hate babies, and there was an entire list of all the times you'll see babies being killed in the Bible under God's direction, allegedly. Um, you'll see things like God hates shrimp. If you pay attention at all to pop culture, there's a lot of things that are being said about Christians are hypocritical. They'll pick certain things, they pick and choose things, they cherry pick Bible verses and they eat shrimp, but the Bible says God hates shrimp and you'll see the verse from Leviticus chapter 11 up there talking about not eating shellfish basic, basically. And so if you eat shrimp, Christian, you're a hypocrite but you're not obeying scripture. There's all types of memes and graphics, and there's so many TikTok videos. Like, I get sucked into TikTok. I have to delete it, because I'll watch it for like 45 minutes, then my heart gets like, like, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, you're reading all of this stuff that's tearing apart the Bible. Like, here's a list up here of various things the Bible hates, you know, like shaving and tattoos and shrimp and all of these different things. And there's these things saying like, this is what the Bible says. Don't you realize that Christians are you just going through weird motions and skipping what's really in the Bible? You know, here's another verse out of Exodus that gets brought up a lot. These are just memes I've extracted and posting them up. Thou shall not boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. Exodus chapter 23, 19. And like, what? So why God cares about boiling an ex, you know, there and doesn't care about slavery? God's more concerned about not eating shrimp than he is freeing people from slavery because that's what the Bible indicates. So what's happening right now, and that's why I'm speaking on this, that's why I'm doing this, and that's why I'm kind of like, you know, lovingly alarmed about it in that way, is that more and more Christians are deconstructing and leaving faith, often due not to not having good music, not about having community, not about having you know, contemporary lights and videos and all this stuff and good parking lots and all of that. They're leaving the faith because of this, what's in the scriptures. And that's different than generations before. That's why it's not about a stylistic issue that we're, you know, we're dealing with uh, in today's world. We're now dealing with something far greater than that because it's not about, you know, the church is so focused on style and and uh, music, and all these things are important. But meanwhile, what's going on is that we're seeing people who are Christians leaving faith. If you pay attention at all, the deconstruction of faith, and many are becoming agnostic, and some becoming atheists, and, and saying, I can't believe in the Bible, and others who aren't Christians are hearing about these things, like my barber, unicorns in the Bible, the Bible, God's against babies, and all of this, and they're not interested in scripture or the faith from what they're hearing about what the Bible says. And even calling the Bible not the good book anymore, but the evil book. That's why, like, again, there's, you can look up at evilbible.com, there's a whole list of stuff. So how do we make sense of these crazy sounding Bible verses? Um, I'm just gonna be giving like a little snapshot this morning of this. We can spend hours and hours on each of these topics but this is what's going on. If you're not aware of it, I pay attention to this, and of course, if you pay attention, you'll see it, but it is, I just wanna, I'm not an alarmist by any means, but I am very alarmed about this because it's happening at such an accelerated rate, almost like a social contagion among especially younger Christians and starting to say, I, I'm begging the faith, I'm begging the faith, I'm begging the faith, and it's different than generations past. It has nothing to do with style. Like I said, it has nothing to do with music or what's hip or what's not. 
It's coming down to the core essence of the cross, the resurrection, Jesus paying the penalty for sin by his blood and his body on the cross. Now that's seen as a violent act and God wouldn't have used violence because God's love, not about violence. So I'm telling you, that's why I'm alarmed and I'm not, you know, and that's why I'm raising this up. Um, but here's the thing, right? The Bible, God used the scriptures in my life and I'm sure your life and everything of Calvary for all of these years. You know, you, the scriptures are central to who you are. Everything we know about God and Jesus pretty much comes from the scriptures. I love the scriptures. Um, I'm in them daily. I mean, it's just like, I can't imagine. My understanding of Jesus comes from the scriptures and not just the red letter verses, all of the verses and the Old Testament and the New Testament because we need to know the whole of Jesus, not just certain things he said, but everything else that the New Testament says about him. The scriptures themselves in 2 Timothy 3.16, the classical verse that says all scripture is God breathed. He was involved in it through the spirit and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that, that so that's important, not just for knowledge, all of God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is a good book. This is a book of life. This is a book of hope. This is a book of truth, right? I, I think it's insane when Christians don't read the scriptures and just take it for granted. But now we're being forced to because the faith is being challenged. And it's not even being challenged from the outside, it's being challenged from the inside. And that's why I'm raising this up. You know, the scriptures are not just a human document. The scriptures in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, it says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. By faith, but by reasonable faith and trust, everything in the scriptures, right, is that God's spirit used human beings to write everything here, right? It's beautiful, it's wonderful, um, and this is truth. That's why this is so important. This is truth and it's good. So what I wanted to say is there's two factors that I think are influencing this. One is that there's a rise of biblical illiteracy amongst Christians. See, this has happened, uh, and I'm old enough to actually have seen, actually see this, you might be part of a church and going to churches and being part of and, but you know, and hearing little bits and pieces, but, but today, in the past, we could get, get away with it. We could not know the scriptures too much, and we just knew the nice stories and things. But for the most part, there's an incredible rise, especially of younger generations, of knowing the scriptures. So there's a vulnerability already that way, but what's also happening is because so many don't know the Bible, they're being caught off guard when they're finding things in it they didn't know was there. And that's what's going on. Seeing a lot of verses extracted out, and I'm gonna just show a couple quick ones uh, here this morning, which seem to be anti-science, anti-women, pro-slavery, all of these verses that will be extracted and put up in memes or have quick TikTok videos about and saying, look how horrible this God is. Look at all the things in the Bible you've missed and pulling all these verses out, right? It can certainly seem overwhelmingly convincing that scriptures are messed up. This isn't true, right? And people then, if you don't know the Bible, it certainly is convincing if you just see all of these little pieces. 
But I want to say, like, this is what's going on. You have a biblically, generally more illiterate generation or two growing up, even in good churches. You even have, you know, adults and, and non-Christians, of course, who don't know the Bible too much. And then they're seeing all of these little bits and pieces and then coming to conclusions about God, Jesus, atonement, the cross, violence, slavery, and they're saying, well, this is who God is, and this is, I don't want anything to do with that. Or my God wouldn't do this. And then you start making up your own God, your own Jesus. People are extracting little bits and pieces, putting them together, and then saying, here's what Christianity is, here's what the Bible is, here's your God, pro-slavery, anti-violent, I mean, pro-violence, at wants to kill babies, um, you know, anti-women, all of these things because they're only seeing little bits and pieces put together in a certain way and then can come to a conclusion. And if you have a generation or two that has grown up and never seen Mary Poppins and all they see is that, you're gonna logically then conclude it's a horror film. And that's what's going on with the scriptures. But here's the good news. That's not what the scriptures are, right? This isn't what the scriptures are. This is, a, this is a amazingly wonderful incredibly life-giving book of love, hope, redemption, right? Forgiveness, grace, compassion, kindness, right? When you read this through, you're reading like the opposite of that. Now there are very interesting and disturbing and difficult pieces. But when you know the whole story and then you see the whole thing, then it makes, it makes sense. So that's what, what I've been doing is focusing on all of these things. What I only have time to do this morning is just kind of give you what's behind each thing. Like we can spend an hour talking about the slavery verses, an hour talking about all of the anti-women sounding verses or the anti-science or you know, the, all of the pro-violence, all of these different things. I wanna go behind it and say what's missing that people don't know that then come to these conclusions that aren't all true if we don't understand the underneath part. So what I'm gonna do right now is just very quickly go through four basic things that we have to be un know about the scriptures so that if we do, we then won't come to those conclusions like that. Because then when we know the basic Bible study methods, it makes all the difference when we then see these verses that sound uh, difficult, and they are difficult. Uh, and here's something also to say. I want to say before I go into it, the, you know, someone's like, I don't need anything, I don't need to study, it's just God's word. I'm like, yeah, but even Peter said this about Paul's writings. In 2 Peter, he says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, and then he goes into talking about Paul. Uh, Peter's writing this. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, right? The scriptures at parts are hard to understand. We have to take effort to go into them, but look what Peter says happens if we don't make that effort, he then says, it's hard to understand which then ignorant and unstable people distort. And that's what's going on today. There's a distortion of what's in the scriptures. We have to put effort now into it. I think in past American history, at least, you can kind of like cruise along and not be challenged as much. But we're being challenged now, and we gotta make the effort now to understand the, the difficult parts. The Holy Spirit helps us in understanding the scriptures, but we have to then do our part in them. So, we want to, like Second Timothy says, we want to correctly handle the word of truth. Okay, so here's four things, just quickly. Like, I, I'm gonna state these and kind of highlight them very quick. 
The Bible is a library, not a book. All right, I'm gonna explain each of these. When we understand these, it makes a whole bunch of difference. The second thing is the Bible is written for us, but not to us. I'll explain what I mean by that. Three, never read a Bible verse. An apologist named Greg Kokel came up with that statement, and I'll explain that. Never read a Bible verse, and all the Bible points to Jesus. If we grasp these four things, all of these other things will make much more sense as we look at them. So, here's what, I'm gonna look, go at these quick. The Bible is a library, not a book, right? Every time you have this, like so many people are pulling out Bible verses and looking at them and then saying like, all right, this means this, right. We have to look at this, this is not a single book like we normally think of a book that was written by somebody, the same person over maybe a year or two they write it, and it's about one story. This is a library. When you walk in, it's 66 books in how we see it. You know, some of them were combined in the originals, like first and second Samuel was just Samuel, and we broke it into more than um, you know, just Samuel. Some of them we broke into two, but 66 books in our library. But when you walk in, you have to look like, think like when I'm walking into this, opening this up, I'm opening, I'm walking into a library, and there's a history shelf, there's a law shelf, there's a, a poetry shelf, there's different shelves and as I'm pulling, opening this up, I'm pulling a book off of one of these shelves, and each of these shelves is not just a specific genre, but it may be from a different time period. And that makes a big difference in how we're looking at them. So like, here's a, a, a little graphic of uh, Old Testament books, like there's 39 on the shelf, New Testament, there's 27, and you're pulling things off that might be, could be law, history, poetry, there's prophetic stuff, there's history, there's, uh, you know, Jesus' life, so there's, all, every time you're pulling a book off a shelf in a library, right, you don't go into a library, pull a book off of, of, out of a law section, and then try to, you know, read it romantically to somebody, right, because it's not written for that, but then you might go to a poetry section in a library, pull off a book, and then understand it's not gonna be written like a law book, so you can't just interpret it the same way. And this book is written by over 40 different authors over 1,500 years on three different continents, three different languages, in many different cultural settings, using many different genres, yet the message is still totally unified. This makes it miraculous. It doesn't hide character flaws, very important, and bad stories of its main characters even. And although there are many human authors, there's only one author, it's the Holy Spirit, who guided all the human authors together to write exactly what he wanted. But as we open this up, it's very important to understand this concept about it being a library. When you select a book off a library shelf, right, it does matter, even words. Like for those that remember newspapers, print newspapers in the day, and you get your newspaper and picture a word like loaded, right? You have a word like loaded, and this is a simple example, but like, depending on what section of the newspaper, that word might mean different things. So if you know a newspaper, it'd have a sports section and all these different, you know, the sports section, the bases could be loaded. You'd see that word there. Real estate section, this model home was loaded. In the local news section, he carried a loaded gun when he robbed the store. In AP News, it might say they'd be loaded, using loaded dice at a table in Las Vegas. Right? Uh, in the same newspaper, you might see an ad for Doritos. And there's actually, there's one up here that talks about 7-Eleven. Doritos are loaded. Um, and there's something that's like loaded with cheese. Now, just a little warning that uh, these, I'm not recommending these Dorito loaded cheese. They have 360 calories and 36 grams of fat. So like they're not, this isn't a recommendation for them. But it's a word how like one word in different genres mean different things. 
Uh, so that's why I have to pay attention to it. Here's a little graphic that someone came up with was, if you're reading Song of Solomon, how Solomon right, saw the woman he loved, and then he's expressing poetry. And you can see up here, like your eyes are like doves, your hair is like a flock of goats, your teeth are like a flock of ewes. You know, these things, your, your temple's like a slice of pomegranate. So they put up a graphic, if you're taking that literally, like what beauty would look like. We don't use these words today, Right, but back then they did. I've never looked at my wife and said, you know, like, your neck is like the Tower of David, or, you know, or your teeth are like a flock of ewes. Like you don't, it's, but back then it meant something, so today it means something different and we can come to wrong conclusions that way. The one that I mentioned earlier about happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. This is a popular one you'll see out because look at your God, he wants to kill babies. Now, all you have to do, right, it makes great meme, kind of a joke, and there's a lot worse graphics than the one I put up here that you'll find online, right? All you have to do is, when you look at proper Bible study on, the, on a shelf, Psalm 137 is from the shelf of, like, poetry and song. That's what psalms are. Then you have to say, who wrote it and why? And that psalm was written in the context of the Jewish exile in Babylon, where they'd been taken as slaves after the Babylonians burned down their city of Jerusalem, they're in exile, and they'll read in the first verse, they were even told to sing us songs of Zion, adding further humiliation and frustration to a defeated people. And when you're reading this whole psalm, not just the verse, you'll see that it says, happy is the one who repays you according to what you've done. There's a, a human cry for revenge and to desire the destruction of their enemies, then verse nine ends up saying, happy is the one who kills the infants of their enemy because that is what they did to their babies. They would actually, soldiers would kill babies by throwing them and that was a way of killing them. They probably watched this happen to their own people. They are now in captivity as slavery and a human being was writing a poetry of angst and it was basically an emotional cry for revenge against these nations in a poetic way that the human being, God didn't say those words, and yet they're extracted and putting up saying, look what God is like, and that's not what God is like. But it certainly makes a nice meme or a sign. All right, uh, let me go to another one. Number two, the Bible is not written for us, but it is to us. Now, uh, I'm sorry, the Bible's not written, uh, is written for us, but not to us. Um, let me explain this. The whole Bible is for us, to learn who God is, to learn how he interacted with people, to learn truths of who he is throughout all of time. But we always have to remember it wasn't written directly to us. That's why certain things may sound weird when we're reading them, because we weren't the original ones it was written to. There was that, um, for those that are old enough, uh, you know, there's a song called Puff the Magic Dragon that was out there. And this made by Peter, Paul, and Mary. And the, the drug culture of the 60s was then saying, look, he's writing about marijuana and smoking marijuana and Puff the Magic Dragon and the, the land of Hanali was some place in Hawaii that had good pot plants or something like that. But it was like, and they're interpreting, and actually it got to such a stage of people were saying that's what this song is about, interpreting it through the rebellious drug culture and world of what was going on in the 60s at that time, that the author had to write, wait a minute, that's not what I wrote. And he says, Puff is about the loss of innocence and having to face an adult world. It's surely not about drugs. I can tell you that in Cornell, Cornell, 1959, no one was smoking grass. I find the fact that people interpret it as a drug song annoying. It would be insidious to propagandize about drugs and a song for little kids. 
right? So, but it certainly was feeling like that because they're reading into their questions and their culture into a song and the guy finally had to correct it and saying, that's not what the song is about. See, we want to read into stuff and try to make it our own and apply it. We always have to go to who was it written for, what was it originally written about. It's, we have to remember the Bible's an ancient book. Whenever we think, like say you say, like the earth, when you say like right now and I say like the earth, generally what comes to your mind is a picture of like the earth, like this. But to the ancient Israelites or those, like this was not an image that we never knew until 1946 when they finally, that was the first time we saw an image of the earth like this. It's common for us to think of the earth, but back then they would think of earth as what they could see, the distance that they could travel. That was earth, not how we see it. You know, they used to use the word brain, I'm sorry, heart, uh, and they used to think the heart was the brain, and it wasn't, but God was still using language they could understand with the word heart, like your, your heart it longs for, or your heart will do this, that's a muscle, right? But they used to think it was the brain, so God used that to communicate in scripture to the, to the people that they can understand that for. Like we always have to go back and say, what was their worldview and what did they understand? Um, you know, like today, if we were to put these two symbols up and of, you know, we now know them as political parties in America, but you'd take these two symbols and go back to the 1600s in Germany. Like, they'd be like, what is this? Like, I, because we now know what they are, but in different cultures and different pockets of time, they understood things differently. Um, again, I could, we could get into so many of these. I'm just so skimming the surface, but so many arguments are about Genesis and like the original things there. What did Genesis mean to the original author, right? Genesis was written by Moses, the Spirit of God through Moses, after the people of Israel came out of bondage of 400 years in Egypt, polytheistic, all types of gods and goddesses, and they worshiped all different things, the sun and the moon, and then God saying, remember they didn't have scripture before then, so God's using Moses to then write down to the Israelites, they just came out, they're in this desert wandering around, and they were coming out of a place where they worshiped the sun and the moon, and so like that's who this was written to. Our questions today are gonna be like, how old is the earth? Was it 24 hour days or longer time periods? Was, is it, does the lack of major transitional forms in the fossil record disprove evolution? Could primitive nucleic acids, amino acids, and other building blocks of life organize themselves to lay the foundation of cellular bio biochemistry? Were there dinosaurs on the ark? That's our questions. When God was writing to the, those are good questions, but when God was writing to the people of Israel, their questions were like, are we gonna survive here in the desert? Is there really one God? What about the Egyptian gods? What do we have to do to please this one God so we will have crops that won't fail and food for our families? Should we worship like the Egyptians or the Canaanites? So when you're reading these chapters, remember that's who God was originally communicating to, not for our, some of our questions today, and we have to always go back and look at that or we can come to weird conclusions about stuff. So the Bible was written for us because we want to learn about everything, but because it's, uh, he was writing to certain people at certain times, it would have made more sense about some things to them. All right. I don't have time to go into this, but there's, we see this mockery made, like say the one about the, you know, women with their mouth taped shut and the guy that put read your Bibles on the back of his truck and it made national news. Right, it's saying, it does say in the scriptures, women be silent, don't speak up in church. But as surface, like just to take that verse out, it couldn't have meant just like, actually women don't, don't speak in the church, right? Because three chapters earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he's telling women to prophesy and pray. So it's not as simple as 
you know, as you have to be quiet, right? Because he would have contradicted him. There's more to it going on. There's some different thoughts about the messiness of the, Cor- the Corinth church, and they were most likely women were interrupting things, and they had to do a specific quiet down because of what was going on in that culture, and there was a posture of learning that you would have that we're not familiar with. There's much more going on. It couldn't have just been women don't speak up in church at all, or else Paul was telling them three chapters earlier to the same church, speak in the church. So something more is going on here but it certainly makes a good meme and a good criticism. You know, that's why we'll see things like, you know, greet each other with a holy kiss. I did not see anybody doing that here this morning, but it's a command in scripture, right? We have to always look what was going on. Who is it to? What did it mean back then? What about today? All right, a third thing is never read a Bible verse. And a third thing, a Bible verse, out of, as we're saying, out of context, it makes great memes. It can make a great, you know, say, look at what you stupid Christians believe. But just like with Star Wars, you always have, whenever they start a new Star Wars film, they backtrack what was going on before to catch up to the story. Um, I believe one of the biggest things Christians don't know today is the storyline of the whole Bible. There's a chart, it's a graph, it's in the book, I wrote like this whole thing about like, if, when you know this whole storyline, when you start seeing things where in the storyline, then they make sense for some things that were said in this part of the storyline don't apply to this part of the storyline. Some things, this part of the storyline, they stay all through the whole storyline. Genesis 1.29, it says, God says, I'm gonna give you every seed-bearing plant. They'll be theirs for food. So that means, all right, it's clear, originally, vegetarian. Is anyone that's eaten meat in this room? Uh, are you sinning? Because there's a Bible verse, clearly, just be vegetarian. But if you base that on one Bible verse, yep, that's it. But then you read Genesis 9, after the flood, he changed it. Everything now that lives and moves will be fruit for you. Just as I give you the green plants, now I give you everything. But it certainly is a mockery when you see all this list, like these lists of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And there are specific things that God set in place at certain time periods for specific people groups. Some of them carry through and some of them don't. God set specific types of laws, like all of the ones that are being raised up and criticized often were for a people group at a specific time, knowing that Jesus was gonna come out of the people of Israel. Just like there's strange laws in America that were we don't understand, but at the time they were understood. You know, these are still in the law books. In Maryland, right now, it's illegal to mistreat oysters. In Idaho, a man cannot give a woman more than 50 pounds of candy at one time. In Charlotte, women must have their bodies covered by at least 16 yards of cloth at all times. These are laws. In Arizona, it's illegal for a donkey to sleep in a bathtub. And in Kentucky, it's illegal to carry ice cream in your back pocket, right? These sound bizarre to us. But you wanna know what? You go to Arizona and you read what happened. This is a true story. There was some farmer that kept a donkey in a bathtub and they had some sort of river flood that happened and it washed the bathtub and the donkey into a big mud basin and they had so much hassle to get the thing out. And they told the guy, no more donkey in the bathtub, right? And then they uh, made it a law. Now, we, and so back then, if you were in that town, Hey, there's no donkeys in the bathtub. Yep, that's because Farmer Jim kept the dumb donkey. Right? And, but today we go like, what, what in the world was that? Because we're not in that world. That's why when you look at some of the things in the Bible, you have to go back into the world to understand what was going on. You know, there's big changes that occurred, but, and I don't have time to develop it, but I want to just say this. Because what you have to do, this is another incorrect way. Great, 
So back then, there's all of these things that, so that means today we can do all of these other things. Like now, you look at what was happening in the Old Testament, then Jesus came, and then you see what did the New Testament say no longer you had to do, a lot of the dietary laws and some of the strange legalistic things about shrimp, you know, all of these kind of things. Those were no longer, but things like do not murder still continued, you didn't stop there. In fact, Jesus tightened it and even said, murder, you know, that's even, you can do it with your words. Sexual ethics, they stayed the same. They didn't change, it wasn't like, great, now we can do anything. In fact, Jesus talked about lust even being, even from our, what we see and what we do with it, not even just the act of adultery. And so what you'll see is a lot of the moral ethics from the Old Testament actually continued for sure. So you can't just say, oh look, you bag there, we don't have to do them today. That's wrong too, then you're not understanding the Bible. That's used a lot today, and that's wrong. That's why you gotta study the whole of the New Testament. I'm out of time here because all I could do is like, there's so many things, but the last thing, and I'm just kind of giving you little pieces, is all the Bible ultimately points to Jesus. So what you have to always be doing is saying like, all right, the whole storyline is about redemption, forgiveness, grace, holiness, being separate. What does that mean? Sin, conscious of sin, but then God's spirit to help us. and, and that's why this is such an amazing, wonderful, incredible uh, books of a library that God has given us. But, and it all points to Jesus eventually, like it's, he's through the whole storyline. But my question is, how well do you know the scriptures? You might have been raised in this church, you might be 80 years old. Do you know the story of Star Wars better than you know the story of the scriptures? Do you know? Are we teaching our youth and our kids this? Are we teaching younger generations how to and how not to read the Bible? So when these types of verses come up, it won't be so shocking. Here's the good news, right? There's answers for this stuff. Every one of these memes you can look at and like, ah, there are still very difficult passages. There are still certain things. God did use violence at times because of sin. And so you're not just washing away, oh, it's all happy. Like there is some really tough stuff. But the tough stuff, I also then know the God of compassion and love and forgiveness, and that's the beauty of the Bible. So, right, I'm out of time, and I feel like I'm just getting going. I'm ready to stand up here and talk for another three hours because there's so much wonderful things in here. But there's hope, and I wanna just say this. If I'm a parent or a grandparent, I'm telling you, don't take this lightly. You need to be able to start responding to your kids You have to be aware of what's going on, right? Because this is what's going on. And uh, and so please, I'm glad this church takes the scripture seriously. And and so I'm gonna pray right now. And Lord, you're with us all the time. And how do we know that? The scriptures. Lord, I thank you that you gave us the scriptures. The amazing, difficult to understand at times, wondrous, amazing, powerful, incredible scriptures that you use to change our lives. I ask that this church and each person here will take the study of your word seriously. We can't just be light Christians anymore. We gotta, the the world's different. And there's a challenge to our faith, but the great news is there's answers. And I pray, as I know this church is going to be, 
taking the study of Scripture seriously so we will know how to respond to these challenges that are there. There's answers. And God, I just pray for anyone here that might be even struggling with answers, that, boy, there are answers. Um, So, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the Scriptures. Amen.